Hello dear listeners, whether you're just finding us or have been with us for a while, welcome. At Dreams and Crimes, we've got a treasure trove of stories waiting to be discovered. We like to describe them as a cosy blanket after a long day of work, or a ticket to a thrilling adventure before bed. If you're a long-time listener, thanks for sticking with us. Your support means the world. Want to take it up a notch? Consider subscribing to Dreams and Crimes on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. We're cooking up something special, turning these stories into videos. We've put a lot of efforts into them, and they're actually super good. And now, let's dive into today's story. The Coffee Killer Nestled beneath the Harbour Bridge in Sydney, Australia, was the Billy Blue College of Design. Sydney was a long way from Indonesia, which was perhaps why Mirna Salahin and Jessica Wongzo became such close friends. They had both started their first year at the prestigious School for Graphic Design, and they had both come from Jakarta, Indonesia, specifically to attend this school. The young girls were like two peas in a pod. Both girls came from wealthy Indonesian families and both had a passion for graphic design and were eager to start their careers. The two young girls were inseparable. After graduation from college, however, Myrna went back to Jakarta to work where her family still lived while Jessica stayed in Sydney. Jessica loved Sydney so much that her parents and two siblings also immigrated there in 2008. As the years went by, Jessica and Myrna kept in touch. Both had secured well-paying jobs doing graphic design and both had fallen in love with young men. Myrna with a young Indonesian man and Jessica with a young Australian man. But the men differed greatly from each other. In 2014, when Myrna took a vacation back to Sydney, the two girls met to catch up. During their time together, Myrna and Jessica discussed their lives, their work, and their boyfriends. During the discussion of boyfriends, Myrna was surprised to learn that Jessica's boyfriend, Patrick O'Connor, was a bit of a bad boy. When the girls were in college, they were pretty conservative, concentrating on their studies. But now Jessica was dating a guy with a completely different way of life. O'Connor was involved in drugs and alcohol, and his habits seemed to be rubbing off on Jessica. Despite their solid friendship for so many years, the two girls argued about Jessica's boyfriend. It was clear that Myrna didn't approve of her dating a man that was such a bad influence on her and told her in no uncertain terms that she should get away from him. Myrna told her that this guy was messing up her future and if she didn't change her path, it would change her life forever. Jessica didn't take this advice well and told Myrna that she loved Patrick despite his faults and would stick with him. She became furious with Myrna to the point where Myrna was uncomfortable being alone with her. The rest of her Sydney trip became awkward, and Myrna made sure that there was always another friend with them whenever they went out. But despite her initial objections, Jessica reluctantly took Myrna's advice and dumped her druggy boyfriend. But because of this, she secretly harbored deep resentment towards Myrna for suggesting that she leave the man she loved. Leaving him didn't stop her problems, though. They were only getting started. After breaking up with Patrick, Jessica developed a drinking problem, and her attitude towards friends and co-workers began to change. Over the next two years, Jessica drank more and more, until one night in August 2015, while driving drunk, she plowed her car over a curb, across a grassy area, 
and through the wall of a busy nursing home. Her car landed within meters of the bedrooms of elderly residents. The fiasco landed her a DUI, a cracked rib, some time in jail, and an embarrassing video of her on the nightly news. Despite potentially killing residents of the nursing home, Jessica was angry rather than apologetic. Throughout 2014 and 2015, Jessica attempted suicide five times. She was admitted to Royal Prince Alfred Hospital each time, and when she returned to work, she told her boss, Those bastards in the hospital didn't allow me to go home, and they treated me like a murderer. If I wanted to kill someone, I know exactly the right dose. In October 2015, during one of her failed suicide attempts, Jessica had tried to poison herself. Police found her unconscious with a bottle of whiskey and three handwritten letters next to her bed. One letter blamed her ex-boyfriend, Patrick O'Connor, for her death. She addressed the other two letters to her family and work friends, saying her goodbyes. Jessica's anger and alcohol problems were affecting her work. She worked as a graphic designer at a firm called New South Wales Ambulance, but despite working there less than a year, she developed a deep-seated anger towards her boss, Christy Carter. At one point, Jessica threatened Christy because she wouldn't help Jessica find a place to stay after crashing her car into the nursing home. You must die, and your mother must die. Christy reported the threat to the local police. Jessica now regretted her breakup with Patrick. During this time, she sent him countless text messages and voicemails. She threatened to hurt herself, hurt him, and hurt his friends if he didn't take her back. Patrick wanted nothing to do with her. She was clearly unstable, and in December 2015, Australian police issued an urgent restraining order against her. Back in Jakarta, Myrna was having the time of her life. Her picture-perfect life was that of a wealthy socialite. She had a well-paid job that she loved and was planning her dream wedding. But because of Jessica's continuing problems and their uncomfortable discussion, Myrna decided not to invite her to the wedding. In her mind, Jessica already thought Myrna was to blame for all of her problems. Her downward spiral was all a result of Myrna's advice. So, her anger and resentment escalated when she wasn't invited to Myrna's wedding. Myrna and Arifso Amarco had an island wedding in Bali in late 2015. The wedding ceremony was elaborate and straight out of a fairy tale. They had plans to honeymoon in Korea and wanted to start a family as soon as they could. Just a few days after the wedding, Jessica continued her downward spiral and was fired from her graphic design job at New South Wales Ambulance. Now jobless, Jessica took some time to come back to Jakarta, Indonesia to visit friends. She wanted to get together with Myrna to let her know there were no hard feelings, and she wanted to congratulate her on her wedding. The two girls agreed to meet for coffee at 5.15 p.m. on January 6, 2016, but Myrna was apprehensive, despite Jessica's assurance of good intentions. Myrna wanted someone to accompany her, so she asked their mutual friend, Hani, to go with her. Hani had also attended Billy Blue College with them in Sydney. Jessica arrived oddly early at Olivier, a trendy restaurant in the posh Grand Indonesian shopping mall in central Jakarta. Myrna thought it was unusual when Jessica texted her at 1 p.m., insisting that she would pre-order the coffee for the three girls. 
Myrna assured her there was no need for that and that she would order when they arrived later that afternoon. Jessica arrived at Olivier at 3.30 p.m., more than 90 minutes before Myrna and Hani were scheduled to arrive. She walked around the restaurant looking for the perfect table, then left the restaurant to do some shopping. She wanted to buy some gifts for her friends, so she stopped into Bath and Body Works. Jessica purchased three small bottles of bath soap for the three of them and arrived back at Olivier at 4.14 p.m. with three large gift bags. The gift bags were unusually large for having only a single small bottle of bath soap in them. Security cameras showed Jessica walking around the entire restaurant looking for the perfect table, occasionally glancing directly at the cameras. After a few minutes of searching, she chose a half-circle booth on the side of the restaurant with large palm trees behind it. The palm trees behind the booth conveniently obscured the security cameras behind them, leaving only a single security camera across the restaurant pointing directly at the table. Jessica then placed the large gift bags on the table, waited a few moments, then moved the bags more towards the center of the table. We'll be back to True Crime Sleep Stories right after this message. What if you could share your story with the world? What if you could inspire others with your passion, your message, or your vision? What if you had a team to help you craft the perfect story for your business or brand? Well, you can. And we at With Aim are here to make it happen. With Aim is more than just a podcast production company. We are your storytellers, your voice, and your partner in creating a podcast that will captivate your audience, showcase your brand's personality, and build a lasting relationship with your customers. So don't let your story go untold. Start your podcast today. Visit with aim.co slash podcast to learn more. That's with aim.co forward slash podcast. With AIM, be the voice of your brand. Almost an hour before Myrna and Hani were due to arrive at the restaurant, Jessica ordered a Vietnamese iced coffee for Myrna and two additional coffee drinks for herself and Hani. When the drinks arrived at 4.24 p.m., Jessica was seen on the security camera doing something with the drinks, but the cameras didn't pick up the details because of the gift bags that were blocking the view. The drinks then sat on the table for 52 minutes until Myrna and Hani arrived at 5.16 p.m. Within a few seconds of sitting down, Myrna took a big drink of the Vietnamese iced coffee that Jessica had ordered for her and immediately knew something was wrong. She began rapidly waving her arm in front of her mouth and told the girls that there was something wrong with the coffee. She pushed the glass away from her and continued frantically waving her hand. In less than 60 seconds, Myrna's head fell back against the top of the padded booth. Her eyes rolled back in her head, her body began to convulse violently, and she started foaming from her mouth. Restaurant staff and other patrons of the restaurant started to gather around. Their first assumption was that Myrna was an epileptic and that she was having a seizure. Hani was crying and panicking and called Myrna's husband. Jessica, however, showed no signs of stress at all. Myrna was unresponsive, and emergency medical workers carried her out of the restaurant in a wheelchair, rushing her to the hospital. But she died shortly afterwards. Jessica was the first person to make accusations. When people had started gathering around at the restaurant, Jessica immediately said to the restaurant manager, Debbie Siagian, What did you put inside the drinks? 
Because of this accusation, Devi had the foresight to collect the three coffee glasses and save them at the back of the restaurant until police arrived. In the days after her death, it was assumed that Myrna had died of an epileptic seizure and Jessica and Hani were not questioned at the scene. It wasn't until three days after Myrna's death, when police analyzed the contents of the Vietnamese iced coffee, that they realized she didn't die of an epileptic seizure. Myrna's drink contained a lethal dose of cyanide, and the case was now considered a homicide. Myrna's family initially objected to an autopsy. Indonesia is predominantly a Muslim country, and it was not common for autopsies to be conducted as it mutilates the body but the police assured the process would be brief. Myrna's family agreed to an autopsy, and on January 10th, the medical examiner found that there was bleeding in Myrna's stomach, consistent with that of a corrosive substance. Traces of cyanide were found in her stomach, but not in any of her other internal organs. When police analyzed the security camera footage from the restaurant, Jessica was seen awkwardly backing away from the scene while Myrna was convulsing. She was doing something odd with her hands, but it's unclear exactly what she was doing. Speculation was that she was moving something from one hand to the other, while another theory was that she was scratching her finger because she had just stirred poison into Myrna's drink using her finger. A link to the security camera footage can be found in the online appendix at the end of this book. When the Grand Indonesian Police heard about the relationship problems between Jessica and Myrna, they turned to the authorities in Sydney to look into Jessica's background. They had abolished the death penalty in Australia since the 1980s, but it was still in effect in Indonesia and was carried out by firing squad. The Australian Federal Police only agreed to help investigate the case after assurances from the Indonesian government that prosecutors would not seek the death penalty. The Australian Federal Police shared the confidential history of Jessica's troubles, her DUI charges, her multiple suicide attempts, her death threat to her former boss, and the restraining order her ex-boyfriend had issued against her. They also interviewed her former boss, Christy Carter, for nine hours. Later, Christy's testimony became key evidence in the case against Jessica. Within weeks, Indonesian police officially charged Jessica with the murder of Myrna Salihin. Dressed in an orange prison jumpsuit and a sign hanging around her neck with her name on it, police took Jessica back to the Olivier restaurant for a reenactment of the crime. Indonesian news outlets and social media quickly became obsessed with the case, and Jessica was thrust into the public spotlight. Reporters and cameras followed Jessica's every step, and she strangely seemed to enjoy the attention. Television cameras showed Jessica smiling and waving as if she was unaware of the reason for all the attention. Despite the agreement between the Australian Federal Police and the Grand Indonesian Police, prosecutors said the agreement not to seek the death penalty would be void if they convicted her on evidence the Jakarta police had gathered. The Indonesian police also argued that Jessica was not actually Australian, but only a permanent resident. Eventually, the Indonesian police said that they would leave it up to the judges for sentencing. The case quickly became the most notorious case in Indonesian history. The media gave Jessica the nickname of the Coffee Killer, and the public interest was overwhelming in both Indonesia and Australia. 
The case played out like a soap opera and was covered every night on the evening news. It seemed that everyone in Indonesia had an opinion of whether Jessica was innocent or guilty. The broadcast media was criticized for spreading insensitive rumors that Jessica was having an affair with Myrna's husband. A coffee shop in Jakarta advertised non-toxic Vietnamese iced coffee with the slogan, What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. The Olivier restaurant became a tourist attraction for those that wanted to see where the crime took place. The trial started on June 15, 2016, and Indonesian national television broadcast it live. Jessica's wealthy family hired Otto Hazaban, a well-known celebrity defense lawyer. The defense team questioned the autopsy results, pointing out that they found no cyanide in any of Myrna's organs other than her stomach. They produced forensic and toxicology experts that testified there was no proof that cyanide caused her death. Jessica took the stand in her own defense, explaining that Myrna was a friend with whom she could laugh, talk, and share secrets. She tried to play on the sympathy of the court. My family has been publicly shamed and I have been treated like the scum of the earth since the case started. Myrna's friends and family held press conferences in attempts to sway the public opinion against Jessica. The prosecution presented 46 witnesses, including Myrna's father, husband, twin sister, and several employees from the restaurant. The prosecution presented its case with the motive of revenge. They argued that Jessica blamed Myrna for the breakup with her ex-boyfriend and the subsequent chain of events that happened in Jessica's life. The prosecution alleged that the security camera footage showed her looking around the restaurant to see if anyone was watching while she handled the coffee. They also argued that the murder was premeditated, that the use of poison illustrates pre-planning. They also used the interview with Jessica's former employer, where Jessica threatened her life and the restraining order against her to show that her anger consumed her. Ultimately, the panel of three judges agreed with the prosecution, and on October 27, 2016, after almost five months of trial, Jessica Wongzo was found guilty of poisoning Myrna Salahin by putting cyanide in her coffee. Jessica Wongzo was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Jessica and her team of lawyers submitted a lengthy appeal, but both the Jakarta High Court and the Supreme Court rejected it. Jessica Wongzo was left with no option but to serve the full remainder of her sentence. Thanks for listening to True Crime Sleep Stories. If you aren't asleep yet, consider following the show. Maybe our next story will give you the peace of mind you desperately need. Or not.